Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mace Wakonga. I'm Ryan Hun. And we're back again. There's so much for to discuss. But first of all, most importantly, how are you, Ryan? Um, okay. How are you? Great, thanks. I had an excellent weekend. Went to a very fine book launch um, by a friend of mine, Jessica J. Lee. Very much looking forward to her new work. And also watched a lot of football. A lot of football. There was quite a lot on this weekend. And not just a lot, but so eventful. And I think even though early in the season, these felt like pivotal matches. Start in the obvious place. Well, talking of obvious places, we're not in an obvious place. We're not in an obvious place. We're in a new place. We are indeed. We're at the magnificent Archetype Cafe in Prenzlauerberg. We're recording from there. Archetype is a cafe that does a lot of work on the common good, so social justice programmes, but also serves very good banana bread. So check it out. <laughs> Straight in with the cake chat. <laughs> yeah, listen, always the cake chat. Yeah, so uh, if you're in Berlin... Marienburgerstrasse in Prenzlauerberg. That's right. That's our new five, home. And we're five. usually here. We are actually Rinsing yeah. their internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Wi-Fi is actually very good here. So yeah. Oh, there you go. There Wi-Fi go. and banana bread. What more can you want? <laughs> Moose is like <laughs> two, yeah. two. Oh, what am I going to try and say? It's a ba- the basic needs, isn't it? As Your basic, basic needs, needs. Yeah, my basic needs. No need to constantly mess with the data settings on your phone for various apps when you're here, mate. Just use the Wi-Fi. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyone who knows, knows. Yeah, those who know, know. But yeah, uh, more importantly than me, the football. football. Um, We're going to Anfield first. Yeah, we have to start there. So. Pep Guardiola made a a new meme. Lippel 3 did make a new meme, yes. Possibly the meme of 2019. Do you know what? He gets away with a lot. He memed a meme. He gets a lot, Guardiola. He, 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 He did meme a meme. He became... That thing you never want to become, viral content. When you become viral content as a footballer, it's never really good. Unless you're messy. It's even worse when you're a manager. Exactly. When managers become memes, it's really good. Um, so he became a meme because of his furious reaction to... Twice. Well, twice. 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 But no, no, <laughs> not, not getting pivotal decisions, which frankly I have sympathy for. If you consider how narrow the margins were in the last game, when Liverpool lost 2-1 to City, that was decisive for last um, season's championship. And the fact now that they're nine points behind Liverpool, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, nine points behind Liverpool. Fascinatingly behind Chelsea and Leicester, which is amazing in itself. So this is obviously a, a much more pivotal game for City than it was for Liverpool because they can afford to lose one or two. Yeah. And their defence is much more solid than City's, which is as awful as we predicted. Well, the centre defence is as bad as we predicted. So, you know, these decisions really do matter. And the handball by Liverpool in the first so 15 minutes was, it was pivotal. It was terrible. It was clear. Yeah, it was. And he pushed his arm. I mean, I, I think that I have a lot of sympathy for that because if you consider the passage of play and it led straight to that goal and it was a clear handball, to me it was a clear penalty. I mean, I'm, I'm by no stretch of City but then, fan. But then there was loads of people, oh, I'll tell you what, the rest of that first half was just spent on people trying to figure out the rules of stuff right, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Because it hit Bernardo's hand first. There was something about all offensive handballs now are handballs, no matter what the scenario, whether they're accident or not. So 
because it hit Bernardo's hand first, they couldn't give a penalty because it then should have been a free kick to Liverpool. But then a load of people saying, well, the handball from Alexander-Arnold led to the goal, which therefore turns it into a, an attacking handball, which means that it should have been pulled back. The ref's only mistake was not to give a free kick, I suppose, to Liverpool. Really, if you think about it, the sort of original problem. But he was looking at it. In a, yeah, I mean, look, I just think that regardless of that, like, it's hard to be regardless of that because it was such a pivotal moment. But here's the thing. I feel like the bigger problem for City is the lack of tactical diversity in the, in the uh, City midfield really showed against them. Because at one point, you know, City's greatest strength to me is their midfield, right? Mm-hmm. And Liverpool just passed through it at will. There are times when Liverpool have blown City away. And in those performances, both occasions, they've exploited a particular flank, the same flank in both cases, and they have also targeted Gundogan and made him irrelevant. And they've worked out how to pass around him. And I think they've worked out that actually he's primarily a playmaker, but not really defensively that gifted or strong. And there was one passage of play in particular. I watched Liverpool work the ball in and out of the midfield. And it reminded me of Ajax against Real. Mm. Like a kind of that kind of cat's cradle passing where two passes go back. And Wijnaldum was unbelievable. Yeah, He was as good and as enterprising. I mean, he's been brilliant for Liverpool, but this was the first game I saw him where he was as enterprising for Liverpool as he has been for Holland in recent months, mm. where he basically occupies everywhere between the four and the eight. And City couldn't live with that. There's a thing that happens in these games where I think you can really see the pressure on Manchester City. Yes. And... You know, I mean, there's pressure on all top-level teams, but I think that, especially in this kind of matchup between Liverpool, mm. where the kind of margins are so much smaller for Pep. Right. Like, Liverpool were in a far worse place when Klopp took over than Man City were. And I think right. you really see that in these games, you know. There's always this narrative around Pep that he's, you know, he's never more than one or two games away from the old bald fraud thing coming out again. Mm. Especially with the money that Manchester City have spent. It's so evident in these games. Liverpool just always tend to seem a little bit freer. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think the problem with City is they have to force the issue because they need to catch up those points. They have to take risks. The problem with Liverpool is they don't make many mistakes. There are nine out of 10 across the board. You know, in every department, they're nine out of 10. So you have to wait till the 85th minute to get something out of them. You can't really blitz them early. They're not susceptible to that. They can beat you by sitting deep. They can beat you by pressing you high. They can beat you playing possession football. And City end up just, I know it's a panicking is not the right word, but it's been said a lot about Guardiola that there are sort of tactical spots that he overlooks or overthinks. The failure to invest, I mean, there, it's a real problem. It's a real alarm bell for a team like Guardiola's where you identify significant problems and I said this before, if they go down the throat of City, yeah. and they did it for the first two goals. I mean, he called it before the season started, really, or the first one of the season. You know, that weakness at the back. <clears throat> that what triangle. is it with our throats today? <coughs> I can say what it is for my throat. It's the temperature change. Oh. And I had a bit of a, I had a really bad cold actually a couple of weeks ago. Oh, no. And it's kind of returning, I think, but it's okay. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's all good. No, so... Yeah, the temperature's dropped about 10 degrees here, hasn't it? From 15 oh, to about chilly. 5, yeah. Oh, it's chilly. chilly. It is indeed. Zero this morning. Park. Was it zero? Yeah. Okay, anyway. So, Liverpool City. Really, this, I've said this before, I think Liverpool are winning the league this year. So that many a time, 
So that to many doubters, including Harry Seffi, probably listening, Liverpool fan, who's like, oh my goodness, we're not going to do it. I was like, yeah, you're going to do it. Like, you're That's a bit do mean. That's a mean impression of Harry. Well, no, because Harry's like, he's doubting because he's afraid because I haven't won for so long, Liverpool. Oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I get it. I get the fear. Liverpool fans, I'm not trying to be harsh. It's just that to me, this team is so clearly going to win. What I mentioned earlier before I interrupted myself about the midfield diversity, you look at the bench for Liverpool, they have Oxlade, they have Keita, Milner and Lalana lurking around somewhere. Who do they have for City? Mm. Foden, Silva, Silva, Gundogan, De Bruyne. These are all similar types of midfielder. They don't give you that variety. So you don't look at the bench and go, oh, there's a different option. Oh no, there's another sort of ball play number eight who actually, when it comes to a brutal battle of like, you know, six foot tall, strapping midfielders can't really hold their own and pass through. And when those strapping midfielders can also pass at that speed and that intensity, they're missing Leroy Sané. In your trouble. They are really badly missing Sané. City need to play like Hector Herrera from Atleti. And I can't believe that Hector Herrera went to, I've said this before, I cannot believe that any, there was no competition for his signature. I know. I know. He's an unbelievable player. Yeah. Shout out to Atleti actually, who actually scored three goals the other day. I know, I couldn't I, believe it. Almost broke out in hives. <laughs> My cup runneth over. I'm like, <laughs> Liverpool put on a masterclass against City. That was a great game to watch. Yeah. United got a really good win against Brighton and then Atleti scored three goals against Espanyol and Morata I have such a soft spot for Morata he's such a nice man he's let's such cover a that nice, later we will but let's, I'm just I'm just really happy shout out to yeah. Alvaro he, he scored a lovely goal well he scored two lovely goals actually and an assist, what did he get the first one he got a beautiful assist the dink uh, oh he, so it, was, it wasn't it wasn't his goal then for Correa yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah back to Anfield Liverpool were brilliant on the counter attack but I thought that at 2-0 and actually thought City had played the better football Second half, Liverpool managed the game very well. Mm. I thought City were playing some really, really brilliant football in the first half. And I thought Raheem Sterling was probably the best player on the pitch, actually, for the whole 90. He caused Liverpool so many problems. And I know there's going to, you know, Liverpool won the game. And there were a few moments like when Raheem was kicking off with Joe Gomez and all this stuff when Joe Gomez kind of just moved him out of the way. I pushed him to the hoardings. Was that him that pushed him? Oh, no. That, there was a lot of that going on. I don't know. I mean, it's not a Liverpool-specific thing, but there were a few instances of it in the game where I just thought they were really naughty. Those those things. And you st- pushing you know, a player, even like a slight nudge. So when- it reminded me of the way people used to treat Arsenal. Do you know how that that perception of Arsenal as being oh they don't like it up and you know they yeah. don't like it rough and so you'd see these sort of extra things. Arsenal would get extra aggression that other teams wouldn't necessarily get. Yeah, just to kind of destabilise and be like, oh, they don't like the physical stuff. Because you look at the City midfield and go, ah, that's a midfield that doesn't necessarily enjoy a certain type of intensity. And then when you add the off the ball stuff, you know, it's fine on the ball. When you see us in the off the ball stuff, I say, ah, I see a certain parallel with how um, Arsenal are treated. It's just a little bit nasty. It's not a club specific. This isn't a dig at Liverpool. It was just Mm. that Robertson had one, Alexander-Arnold had one. I think because there were two instances of it in the same game. I just think it's a really, it's a really dangerous thing to do mm. when a player is running at full speed trying to get a ball before it goes out of play and then you give them a slight nudge yeah especially a player really can travel at that bad. speed yeah. exactly and it's just one of those things that you see and you're like why you shouldn't you shouldn't do that there was a couple of instances of it a few years ago that happened to Arsenal where Arnautovic pushed Debushi when he was in the air actually mm. and he dislocated his shoulder and that was actually what gave Hector Bellerin his first team breakthrough wow okay and there was another one that happened to Alexis Sanchez at Norwich where he got pushed into like um, a ditch that had the camera in it. Oh, wow. And there was one at United last season when they played PSG. Asher Young pushed 
Di Maria down that, the bank. That was awful. That's one of the worst I've seen in a long time yeah. because that was... And it always goes unpunished that, and it's really, was, it's really naughty. That bank is like a proper down. Yeah. That's like a... I mean, I'm not, I don't know why I'm taking particular <laughs> objection to it this time. There was a couple of times but yesterday and I think the reaction, the reaction of Andy Robertson was a little bit like, he kind of knew what he did and he was laughing it off to Carl Walker. Mm. And I just thought, that's, <sighs> yeah, nine times out of 10, nothing happens there, but that is a little bit naughty. I think it also speaks to the closeness of those matches and, the, you know, that the edge that that fixture's now taken because actually it started off quite genteel between the two, the two coaches. And in terms of the rhetoric, it's slightly like it's now resembling the kind of Cold War energy that United Arsenal had. It really is yeah. that because those teams are so far out. I mean, well, the, I mean, this is the thing now. I mean, when yeah. Pep and Klopp first took over, the gap between the two clubs was huge Yeah, in terms of points. Last season, it was the game at the Etihad that cost Liverpool the title, right? basically. And that's what it used to feel like when Arsenal and Manchester United had those golden years. Of course. One of those games would decide the title a lot of the time. And that's what this fixture feels like now. Well, Diana Christine, at Diana Christine on Twitter, said, we were talking the day on Twitter, and she said, um, these are probably the best two clubs in the world. And I was like, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that no at question, all. No question at all about that. So that's the thing. This is what's at, this is what's at stake. It's not just striking a blow for the league it's the Champions League it's putting down a mark and going if we see you later it's on site yeah one last thing I'll say about City is in terms of the football they were playing there was some great chance creation and really Aguero with some surprising misses I saw I think Duncan Alexander tweeted Titus Bramble has scored more goals at Anfield than Sergio Aguero which is typically brutal but also hilarious from Duncan and Duncan I know I know he can be so mean he can be so mean but in a what, nice way yeah he's great Duncan works for Opta and he's a, a standout star there has been for many years but the thing I would say is it was funny it was um, we're sort of slightly skipping overseas but it was a really bad weekend for number nines missing pivotal chances anyone that watched um, Dortmund get eviscerated yet again by Bayern would have seen Paco Casa miss a horrifying chance at 2-0 which could really have changed the tide and it, you know there's sometimes when you see a team and all the parts that need to be working malfunction unfortunately at the same time and I feel like City just had one of those days where you know you can't afford multiple malfunctions if they got a goal back actually at 2-1 at that point of the game when Aguero put one wide where you'd at least expect him to make the keeper work then it's a different game. It's your thing about thrashings. Yes. Thrashings, basically, if you look very early in a thrashing, there's always a key miss. Actually, even in the 7-1, I think, Brazil-Germany. Yeah, yeah Brazil missed. Yeah, they missed, a, they missed a good early chance. Right, exactly. There's something about Or was that. it before the Germany scored, actually? It I was think it might have been. Very, very early, very early. But those, yeah. Remember, yeah, those remember the game. That was an early miss. So, Although this wasn't a thrashing, was it? I mean, you know, I mean, quick shout for Bernardo Silva's goal, which I thought was brilliant. He had a difficult finish. game, actually. Difficult game, Bernardo. Yeah. Not for want of trying because he's, you know, a phenomenal player and his efforts, probably his greatest asset. But yeah, I think the goal, funny enough, every goal is going to count this year. So goal difference mm. come down to a lot. But yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, before we move on, a uh, good win for Everton at Southampton. Yeah, they needed that. Bouncing back after the last week as well, the stuff with Andre Gomez. Ralph Hasenhuttle's in trouble. So it's, is Southampton. It's a shame because those performances against City were really encouraging, actually. Yeah. The back-to-backs. Um, I just, I still think you're just seeing the, the aftermath of a really poor summer for Southampton. Right. And these aren't the tools you give Ralph Hasenhuttle if you're going to get him in as a coach. And no, this no, isn't no. The, the setup around him that you get you give him. There's just no point. It's no disappointing. Point. The only good thing I think for Hasenhuttle is if he does get laid off in the next sort of few months, which I hope he doesn't, 
then whoever gets him next will have a superb manager. Get him in at Arsenal. On the cheap. He's amazing. Yeah. I think he's brilliant. Who lost to Leicester. Arsenal were dreadful again. Although it's Leicester. And it's funny how quickly they've earned everyone's respect this time around, but they're just being superbly coached. Uh, anywhere else in the Premier League you want to talk about United? Um, or was it just nice to not have to talk about United? It's just nice that they played on the front foot and they played and gave a sign of what a post-Pogba future looks like because I still think he's on his way and good luck to him. I mean that genuinely. Pereira looked quite bright in the 9-10 role and he was, he was due a performance like that. Fred looks happy. Uh, Brandon Williams was great fullback. Just really nice. Just nice to see the team playing with some expression. And that's the thing. I think the beauty of United right now is that, you know, they're a great club. Yes, great institution. But they've gone from being a great team to just another team. And I think people have expect, people's expectations have now adjusted sufficiently. But I think maybe the pressure is off to an extent. People can just, they can just enjoy their football. You can enjoy it week by week now as opposed to being, is this, we're going to go on a run. We're going to do something big. No, we're not. We're going to end up, what, like seventh, eighth? Well, they've leaped up to seventh now, Manchester United. I mean, that's because there's about two points between fifth and bottom. Absolutely. But, I mean, there's not. There's a, There are six points between 17th and fifth. It's just nice to enjoy watching them. So yeah, all good. Look at that clump of teams in the middle. Fifth, Sheffield United, then Arsenal, Manchester United, Wolves, Bournemouth, Burnley, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Spurs. Everton, West Ham, Villa, and then the bottom three. Sheffield United just so beautifully coached. I, oh, they were I so unlucky loved... on the weekend. That yeah. that VAR thing was an absolute nonsense joke. Was it a toe was offside? It wasn't even a that. Toenail. I think it was a, a stitch of the boot. Oh, for goodness. Anyway. Uh, should we get out of the Premier League? Yeah, let's do it. Right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. Why not? All right, we're back from the break. And before we go to the Bundesliga, England-Germany at Wembley. Yes. Is it biggest attendance for a women's game in England? That was actually my shout-out. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. there you go. No, it's fine, no, because... Go on, like, shout it out. Well, okay, yeah, shout-out to that friendly England-Germany, which people seem to be reading so much into. Oh, my goodness, trouble for Phil Neville. I'm like, it's Germany. They're really good. They've been really good ever since the World Cup. Ah, uh, but they're... I don't think that's inaccurate. But I don't think that's the thing that you... That the critiques should be pre-existing. Does that make sense? Yeah, but Germany were quite poor from the world in the World Cup, and England have been on a very poor run of form. But, and but Germany not, have been very good since the World Cup. Yeah, but England haven't either, and I think it's more of a, a an accumulative effect of yeah the run th- of fixtures. I think the critiques should have been before. I think that if that makes sense, I remember going and think, well, but Phil never was. This is who he was and who he is, and I I've always felt that he's undercoached that team. I always think the assets that he has. I think a better coach would do better with those players, if that makes sense. I think he's holding them back, actually. I don't think England's problems are on the field. I think the personnel are there to do something quite exciting. But that, that's always been my view of, of Phil Neville's. I, I don't, frankly, I don't get what he's doing in charge of that team. They just can't defend under Phil Neville. And like you say, it's not a personnel thing because they made a few changes at the back and it's, they, they the still players. can't really defend. They have the players. There's no shame in losing 2-1 to Germany, especially that Germany team with a great mix of experience and, and youth. They've got yeah. some really great young well, players. Experience and youth on the goal sheet. Absolutely goal right. Goal sheet, score sheet. Where's well, that? Yeah, it goal sheet. Alexander Pop called this beautiful angled header. Time, go on. Stan away, Musa. Clara Boole with the winner. Yeah, she's... Well worth keeping on, yeah. She's very, very, 
very highly rated. Very special player over at Freiburg, uh, doing doing big things. So yeah, one to watch. Well, as we saw coming down the right flank, which is traditionally a strength of of England's, and no respect to reputations, but yeah, really missed strong. a penalty as well in that game. Yeah, that was a great save though mm. as well. But yeah, I mean, was it record attendance for a women's game in England? Yeah, almost eighty thousand. Yeah, over to the Bundesliga. Right. Yep. So that is psychological. The Dortmund evisceration by Bayern. Four, I think they've conceded like 24 goals in the last six games away. I think Squawker posted that stat. Oh, did they? Yeah. I, I thought I just assumed you were talking about my tweet. No, no, no. Squawker, I think, posted a stat. Don't need Squawker, man. I do my own research. <laughs> what yeah, are they, 24th that's... goal Dortmund have conceded in the last five classicers in Munich. Last five, yeah. I saw, I, saw the, I saw the tweet go around. I mean, that's grim. Utterly grim. And it is psychological. You saw the first goal Lewandowski scored and six Dortmund players in the area and none of them were in five yards of him. At Dortmund any point. were dreadful. They were absolutely dreadful. There's a point in the game where Hummels slammed his chest, like going, get in the game. And I remember thinking, I rarely see a gesture like that that so obviously shows that a team has lost its, its guts. This Dortmund side in its current form reminds me so much of a late 2000s Arsenal side. The perfect analogy. That's exactly what I see. I remember an interview last season when Sandro Wagner, before he moved away to China, gave an interview and was like, of course we're going to win the league. Yeah, I remember that. He yeah. was really contemptuous. He barely played after that. It was funny. But that he, was when they were nine points cleared. Yeah, Dortmund, contemptuous. Right? It was, what? Dortmund? Of course. What made it so infuriating to watch is it's like they're bullying you. I don't understand Dortmund's inability to turn up in these games. It's I pure, just really don't. I think, I think, And I think it might be something to do with losing Favre because, you know, we said last week that the noises around his job had kind of quietened a little bit, mm. but they're definitely back because this is a, an ongoing trend. And this is why the Arsenal comparison, I use it a lot because it's just, I've seen this so many times yeah. from an Arsenal side. And, you know, I think Wenger and, and Favre are, are, are quite similar in terms of how they are with their players. I think that's right. Pretty much every prediction that I saw this season had them winning the league. Right. And, they just haven't started well at all. It's just so frustrating to watch a team that doesn't have guts. And that sounds harsh, but they don't have guts. They don't have a, a Thomas Partey or a Saul Niguez, someone who just basically goes, we're going to regulate this thing. They don't have a player like Stefano Sensi who raises, you know, like Stefano Sensi when, when it's needed, just raises that tempo or a Lampard or a Balak someone that just steps in and asserts themselves and watching them on the break, watching them swarm. When Gnabry scored and you see the break for that goal, I was just like, this team is gone. It was just, it was like ribbons in the midfield. Yeah. I mean, there was a weird thing as well with Jaden Sancho coming off early and Lucien Favre said it was a tactical decision, not an injury related one. And he wasn't fully fit. I don't think anyway. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, loads of problems at Dortmund. And it's Leipzig confirming themselves as the main competitor. Great 4-2 win at Hertha. I mean, you, you expect to beat Hertha away if you're Leipzig in current form, but it's the way they did it. And they're scoring a variety of goals now. On the break, set pieces. You know, they're scoring uh, with possession football. They really are impressive. I think they are. They're the main threat for sure. What's that? Um, 18 goals in three games? Really, it's that many? Yeah, it's about that. They've got eight against Mainz. Eight against Mainz. Six in Wolf, against Wolfsburg in the yeah. cup before that. Yeah. 
four on the weekend against Hertha. And their goal scoring has absolutely surged. Two of those games away as well. Yeah, their goal scoring surged. They've <laughs> tightened up the defence. They, they conceded a very late goal against um, Hertha, which slightly blotted. Yeah. The, but, but fundamentally, the defence is, when it needs to be solid, it's solid. And there's a team that grafted. They weren't that good against Bayern at home, but they got the point. Yeah. So they're good to get something even when they're playing suboptimal. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Mainz, Sandro Schwarz lost his job after losing at home to Union. That's fair enough. Yeah, it's been a bad, bad few weeks for Mainz. I think it was a mutual decision by all accounts. A slight shame for Mainz because they produced so many great coaches in the past. Yeah. Klopp, obviously, and Tuchel. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Union are above Hertha. I mean, spicy. <laughs> Good for Union. Yeah, uh, your boys Paderborn lost to Augsburg at home. They just don't have the, the firepower. They really don't. And speaking of people who don't have firepower, Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg are such a weird side. I tweeted about this. So I'm basically just going to read the tweet. Yep, sure. Unbeaten in the league till last week. Right. So they've lost two on the bounce now. They lost on the weekend. They lost to Leverkusen at home. Uh, they've lost four in a row now in all competitions. Tenth in the Bundesliga. The league's best defensive record. But only Köln have scored less. And they've only won one. No, no wins in the last seven in all comps now. The problem they have is it's just a lack of firepower. Well, I mean, the thing is, they've scored 11 goals this season and yeah. three of those were at Hertha. Yeah, Wout <laughs> Weghorst. And without him, they've got wide forwards who are, you know, they've got good wide forwards, skillful wide forwards who are quick, but they're not goal scorers. Mm. And that puts so much pressure on them if they don't score early. I mean, you saw it against Dortmund as well. They, don't, they had a good presentable chance against Dortmund. They don't score early. You don't really know where the goals are coming from. And it's hard to see them when they play. You're like, they're not going to score more than a couple of games. Yeah. You know. We had a couple of Bundesliga related. Oh, actually, before we go into the Bundesliga related questions, did you see Freiburg Eintracht? I didn't know. No. <laughs> you didn't see about the David Abraham Christian Strike thing? No, I missed out. I missed out. Right. So uh, Freiburg were beating Eintracht at home. Freiburg were down to 10 men. And I think it was deep in stoppage time at the end of the game. David Abraham is running to try and get the ball back quick. And he kind of stutters on the AstroTurf, body checks Christian Strike. Oh my God. Christian Strike goes flying, the Freiburg manager. And basically it just sparks a mass brawl. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, Abraham was sent off. Vincenzo Grifo from, from, from Freiburg, who had been substituted, was also sent off because he kind of grabbed Abraham in the face. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was a real mess. I mean, Freiburg ended up winning the game. It was interesting to see the reaction of someone from each camp. So basically, Freddie Bobic, who's the Eintracht sporting director, came out and criticised his own player, David Abraham. And he was, you know, there would be consequences and it was a really bad thing to do. Whereas Christian Strike was just like, yeah, he spoke to me afterwards. This, we're all good. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because actually those teams are quite, they're at similar sort of stages in terms of playing quite interesting football, quite good football. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, obviously very different size clubs. Yeah. Uh, but also the kind of clubs which, you know, aren't, aren't going to win anything this year, but will probably have performances will be decisive in the destination of the title. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think Freiburg will pick up points off people, for it's, sure. Yeah, they'll pick up and, points off good people. Yeah. And you saw, yeah. I think the cool thing about it was before Strike had even hit the ground, the whole bench was up going after Abraham. It's almost like a baseball <laughs> it match. It was really yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. It was, you, know, you know, in baseball, everyone just clears the benches. Yeah. It sounds like that. Yeah, yeah. So that was very entertaining. 
I, I like Christian Strike though. He comes across as a pretty a good lad. Pretty, pretty they've good got coach. they've got some pretty cool coaches actually in the Bundesliga. I've got to say, oh, there's loads of yeah. loads of genes and trainers coaches in the Bundesliga. Yeah. I think I tweeted about this ages ago, but I think it's the league with the highest ratio of a mensch, casually dressed managers. A good lad of mensch, yeah, lots um, of menches. So we had a question from Neil Young about Dortmund: Are they where they should be in the league, meaning that they overachieved last season, or should we should we be expecting better results this time around? I think a little bit of all three. I think they are where they should be at the moment because yeah. of their performances. Mm. I don't think they overachieved last season, but they were probably a little bit ahead of schedule. Yes. If you consider where Jaden Sancho was before the beginning of last season, I don't think anyone would have expected that rate of development. It's extraordinary, yeah. And, you know, he became their most important player before Christmas last season. Which was a problem, actually, as it turned out. And They're now slightly but, behind schedule, I think. But as we see the problem, they call it in the NBA the rookie wall. When young players explode, they inevitably have a dip. Yeah. And that's probably as important as their ascent, yes. if you like, and how that's managed, because that can easily be the thing that derails a player's career, actually. People start working out. Yeah, people start working out what you like doing. I mean, it happened with Raheem Sterling. He was a massive case of it. His form did dip for a long time. And you've seen now, I mean, he's one of the world's best players. I think we should be expecting better results from them this season. I think they have more tools, especially at the back, with yeah. Nico Schultz, Mats Hummels. Schultz missed a lot of the season with injury. They've had a few injuries around the side, like Marco Royce has been out occasionally. Paco Alcacer not been starting games recently because of injury. And a loss of form anyway as well. But he was also on a ridiculous hot streak. That's the thing. He was on an all-time... He was almost like, you know, when Ramsey oh, had yeah. that astonishing season and after that didn't really hit those heights, but only because, not that it was a fluke, but everything Ramsey hit that year went in. And everything Alcacer, I mean, Alcacer was scoring at a historic rate last year. I think he was actually at one point outstripping Messi. Mm. And you can't maintain that level. No. It's just not, you know, well, unless, no. you're, unless you're Messi. Um, had another question from Yasmina Banashchuk. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Great writer as well. At Laser Sushi on Twitter, I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, tell me how Eins FC Köln can save its ass after the recent drama. And also, would coaching a team like this ever be interesting to any top coach or is it unrealistic because of the money? I think this is a really interesting question. Uh, the, so, yeah. for those who don't know, basically, Köln or Cologne yeah. are in a little bit of a pickle. So Achim Bayerlutz lost his job this weekend straight after the defeat to Hoffenheim on Friday right. night. I think even Paderborn have beaten them. Yeah, but it follows um, the news that the sporting director, Armin Weiz, is is leaving due to personal reasons at the end of the season. I mean, in recent years, Köln have been a, a bit of a yo-yo. Right. And they're a huge club. This is the thing about Germany. I think that probably, I'd go with saying it's the only country in Europe that can match England for the size of clubs that aren't in the top flight. Yes. The, 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 the second Bundesliga is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you yeah. have Hamburger SV, a European Cup winner. In the second division. Just casually chilling. Huge clubs like Kaiserslautern, St. Pauli, Hannover, uh, Stuttgart. Kaiserslautern won in the 94. Yeah, they, I mean, they, you they have quite recently, yeah. giant clubs that are staggered throughout the various divisions. And Cologne are a really, really big club. If I'm being honest, I'm not sure what type of manager would go there. A young Nagelsmann. I think that's a shout. I think it's a, it would be a really, really good place for a young manager to come in and have... Like a Mainz. Yeah. For that sure. kind of that kind of club, and I, that's why I don't. I, I feel optimistic about a club like that because I think that the fan base is great. They you know they're really almost a parallel a bit with Newcastle, uh, where the fan base doesn't quite get the results that the the support merits. 
but where actually if you bring in someone with new ideas, exciting new ideas and a couple of great signings, you think about the platform that Cohen provides for, let's say, young strikers and midfielders to make a name. Let's say like, like a guy like, um, let's say you get a guy like a Naby Keita or Wilfred Ndidi, who you recruit from, let's say the Belgian second division and just say, listen, we're going to give you the midfield for the next two years. We might sell you one after three years. And I think if Cohen almost realign and say, we're going to provide a platform for the rest of your career to brilliant young players, I think you could spark quite an interesting move there. If clubs accept who and what they are, we've got a great support. We're probably not going to win the league for the next 10 years, 15 years, but we're going to play great enterprising football and not get kind of trapped in the sort of what I call the Herter gap, which is we're not going to have to win the league, but we're not really bringing new ideas and vitality. If Köln go for new ideas, young players, brilliant young managers, they could really turn it around. Does that make sense? I think, yeah, totally. I think they're going to go down. I think so. And I think that next season is the time to do that. Because they had this problem the last time they were in the Bundesliga a couple of years ago where Peter Stoger got sacked at the beginning of December. And then the weird thing when he took over Dortmund a week later. <laughs> just so, such a weird, that was a weird week in the Bundesliga. Great question. Basically, Yasmina, I don't think it can save its ass this season. Yasmina, well, I will say, um, love your writing, by the way. Um, Cologne is a lovely city. If you've got a contact there, I'd be happy to accept a role in the communications department. Freelance, of course. So yeah, just uh, put in a good word because I'd like to spend more time over there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. What's that? We're based in Berlin, mate. I know, but just like two days a week. You, you barely notice I was gone. This is the kind of thing we should talk about before you, <laughs> you don't start I'm, putting pictures out. Don't notice I'm gone anyway. Two days a week. Look, I'll be here recording Monday. I'll do a Wednesday and a Thursday in Cologne. It's disrespectful to think you can do a Cologne a job for Cologne only on two days a week, Musa. They don't, they're so good, they market themselves. Anyway. <laughs> Pitching my services using Stadio to advance my commercial interests. Uh, let's do a quick bounce to Spain. Yes, that was interesting. It was interesting. Atleti, okay, 3-1 over Espanyol. We'll start there very quickly. Great to see them scoring some goals and enjoying themselves. I said this on Twitter. I said, like, basically, Atleti need to look at Liverpool and play with more freedom, unleash your attack, and the rewards are there. So the top three, actually, is quite conventional all of a sudden. It is. Uh, then we've got, we had the, uh, the derby, didn't we? Seville derby. We did. Which you watched. I didn't catch that because I was at the book launch, but you caught it. Good game? It's always a good game. Yeah. It's the best game in, in La Liga, I think. <laughs> you love that fixture. I do, got, I got, do. You've got, we've actually, we've got to go. We have to. Just always a great game. But I mean, yeah, Sevilla is just so much better than Betis this season. Nice to see Lopetegui enjoying himself. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed watching Sevilla this season. They've made some really good signings as well. Luke de Jong scoring. He's finally getting his goals, isn't he? He struggled to start with. They've signed very smart. You know, Acampos scored a great goal early on. In fact, all the goals were like, were so aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Betis are, I mean, they're four points clear of Celta in the relegation zone, but they are just above the relegation zone. I mean, I think they've definitely got worse since Kike Setien left. I mean, if you think this is a side that, this is the side that beat Barcelona last season at the new Camp, and were, although infuriating at times, pretty good to watch last season. Now, they've got a few injuries, you know. Will and Carvalho is going to be out probably till the new year. And he's, a, a, he's a massive miss in midfield for them. But still, I'm a little bit worried about Betis. This league might not be long for Betis. We shall see. Well, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Leganes and Espanyol will probably go down out of, the, out of the, those three. Good result, Leganes, sure. though, against Sociedad. But they are struggling. I mean, they've lost nine of their 13 games this season. Again, the goal scoring. Well, I just want to go in Spain. Real Madrid got revenge over Eibar for their 3-0 defeat there last year, winning 4-0. Benzema got a couple. 
It's a bit weird that with Real because they've got these penalty takers in the hierarchy. They've got Benzema and Ramos mm. and Hazard. You I know, know. Penalties were like a gimme for him. Yeah. And it's strange now because I always feel like when a player's got a set skill like that, you give them the set skill just to get them off the ground. And Hazard hasn't really come to life yet for Real, which is actually slightly frightening because they're only one point behind Barca. So, and it will come down, I think, to a Barca-Real shootout because those two teams have the kind of key goal threat. And in a league as open as La Liga, I think it will be goals that decides it. And those two are like out by them. So I think Barca got 33 and Real 27, 28 goals. So when Hazard catches fire, it's going to be interesting. And it's funny because one thing about uh, Zidane teams that is always characterised is he always has one big player who he doesn't quite use as much as you'd expect. So it was Hamez before, now it's Bale. And he also he always has one midfielder who he kind of elevates from obscurity, who's also quite impressive. So this time it's Valverde. And it's like, it's so Zidane. I really like Freddie Valverde. Less of the big player, more of the small player. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that kind of about Zidane. He does kind of do things you don't quite expect for managers. Um, and it's working for them. Yeah, well, your shout of uh, the big sides in Spain having having to worry about stuff. That's looking a bit silly now, it is, but I don't know. I don't mind a bit silly because, you know, humiliation is my stock in trade. I'm a, I'm a poet by training. You forget that. <laughs> you forget the first part of my creative career was involved in profound humiliation. So I'm never, I'm never too afraid of getting stuff wrong. Although the, the top is tight. It is tight. Only two points separate Barca, who are top, and Real Sociedad, who drop points. Barca are strange. So if Real Sociedad hadn't dropped points, they would be level on points with Barca and Real Madrid. Yeah, Barca are odd. Okay, so Barca, they won 4 1 at uh, the weekend. But the weird thing about that win was very few chances created from open play. Was the weird thing about that win that no one can remember Sergio Busquets' goal? <laughs> great strike. Oh, great strike. No, 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 I can't. I think the last one he got was against Valencia like two and a half years ago or something. Yeah. He's got a good goal. He played very well. But the strange thing about Barca's midfield is Arthur is a little bit of a catfish in a good way in that when he first arrived and was like, oh, he's chavy. He provides midfield control because basically because he's like got quite a squat build and plays nice 10 yard passes, but actually he likes running with the ball. He's more like Rafinha. Yeah. Yeah. The weird thing about that midfield is they don't really establish the kind of control you expect. I think Frankie De Jong plays too high, actually. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I agree. Arthur's ahead of the ball. He's almost like a kind of like, almost like a winger in terms of the runs he makes. So positionally is not that disciplined, but that's fine. As long as you've got one person doing that. But the problem is him and Frankie De Jong were both doing that pushing up really high into the final third. But Frankie de Jong, I think, is most dangerous. He's dangerous everywhere, but he's most dangerous to orchestrate the entire midfield. Yeah. And then you have this weird thing where Griezmann and Messi, uh, there was a commentary about, oh, they don't combine enough. Well, you've put them 15 yards apart. And the only reason they're combining is because they've chosen to combine. It was almost at the point in the game where you saw Griezmann and Messi go, we're going to do this the way that we want to do this and just get closer because they had not been instructed to get that close. And it's not Griezmann's fault. He's an outstanding player, but the way he's being used is utterly bizarre. Yeah. So you've got this, re- this strange configuration where Barca are almost succeeding in spite of themselves. And unfortunately, that's down to Valverde. Yeah, I think the, there's something going on with Barca's midfield that's been going on for a while. And it's it seems to have been a transitioning midfield for so many years now. Not right. so many years, but quite a few years. And it was... Like when Javi first left, yeah. they kind of got by with Iniesta, Rakitic and Busquets. Because Iniesta defensively yeah. became outstanding. Yeah. And then he always was. Yeah. When they phased Iniesta out, that was when it seemed to be, they couldn't 
quite figure out the configuration. You tried Gomez, didn't work. And it was it's almost like they've signed Frankie Dong, or Frankie Dong is a couple of years too young for them because if they'd signed him back then when they were phasing Iniesta out, I don't think they would have needed to do as much work on that midfield. I think it would have been a smoother transition. They've yes. almost just about got to the point where they've transitioned away from that kind of dynamic and now they're trying to transition back because of the skill set that Frankie Dong offers you. Yeah, they almost need to just say, Busquets, sit on the back four. Yeah. Frankie, just ahead of him. Arta, run. Yeah. Penetrate. And then Griezmann, false nine. Dembele, off the bench. He was Messi. really good on the weekend. Yeah, Messi. Don't, you can't give Messi too many structures. Don't come that deep. Don't tell him what to do. Wild, yeah, but still shouldn't be coming that yeah. deep. It's really bad actually because it just, he does he does it out of necessity because I think he's thinking if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And he, he's right, unfortunately. Mm. But when Messi is that deep, I think it represents a tactical failure because he's saying I have to go and orchestrate because no one else is running it from back here. Yeah, The kinds of positions he was taking up were positions that De Jong should have been in. Um, this is not criticism of De Jong. De Jong was really obviously pushed high up. And I've seen that a couple of times this year from Barca, where De Jong is like 20 yards ahead of the ball. And I'm like, nah, this is, he's not a right winger. He's not an inside right. That's that. Oh yeah, we didn't mess the Messi hat trick. Sorry. Poor Messi. He was covered really well. And I think he almost, I was saying this, like, I think he almost decided, hmm, they can't man mark me at set pieces. <laughs> so I'm just going to get gonna, Just going to ping a couple of free kicks in. Why not? Celta had a great free kick as well. They did. Which he to conceded. Equalize, like, he conceded, yeah. Lucas Alasso. Some lovely free kicks in that game. Before we go on to questions, we've completely forgot to mention Gladbach in the Bundesliga. Oh, <laughs> hey. top of the league. <laughs> Sorry, and Gladbach. At, at, at the point where there was a Gladbach fan holding up a paper, <laughs> like Bundesliga plate. Oh no, that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, Gladbach. Um, I just want to, I want to give a shout out to Marcus Turam because he is so good. I know this is, yeah, cool. We know. But uh, watching the game on the weekend, he he had a, an amazing assist where he kind of, the ball was bouncing, keeper was coming out and he nodded it and got clattered. I watched it again and he really took one. Like you could the see sacrifice. that that was he coming a mile off. And it was actually a really clever header because he positioned it really well. Who was it who scored it? Was it, Pat- yeah, it was Patrick Herman's goal. Yeah, the second. He's been playing really well, Herman. Really well. I mean, this was a great game, actually. I can't believe we forgot to talk about it when we were doing the Bundesliga stuff. Taram Scott, he, he got a beautiful assist last week as well. He's just such a clever footballer. He's a, He scored a big goal, actually, in the, uh, the, the local derby yeah. just a couple of weeks back, too. He's been really decisive. And they're four points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. The only knock on them was that they hadn't really maybe won a big game until recently, but they've done that now, like two and three weeks. So, yeah. I like Marco Rosa. Yeah, he's great. Someone actually said, didn't they, like... We had a question a couple of weeks ago, what happens when he manages a big club? We're like, glad back. He's there, club. mate. Yeah, big club. Couple more things before we go. Well, we have a couple of questions that we'll go to. We're a little bit all over the place. Maybe it's the new surroundings. It could be, actually. <laughs> I'm all out of sync, Musa. I've got a bit of a cold as well. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Need some ginger. Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't happy when he got subbed off for Dybala. Went straight down the tunnel. Dybala scored. Ronaldo bounced before the game had finished, apparently. That's right. Oh, dear. He's not been playing very well. Controversial. Hasn't been playing well for a while. I would agree. And I'm no fan of Ronaldo, but as a footballer, you know, he has been delivering with goals, but they seem to have dried up in recent weeks. Mm. And he, when he's not scoring, he doesn't offer you much else. This is a problem. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about quickly before we have a couple of questions was the Shakhtar Donetsk incident. Oh, no. Yeah. But I also kind of don't want to talk about it because it's... Yeah. Google it. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let, let, let people check it out. I mean, we themselves. spoke about the Balotelli one last week. Yeah. And... Very similar thing happened. 
Shaq Hardenesque, player walks off in tears due to racism, is sent off actually for reacting to racism. Uh, um, I think two of the players are in tears actually. Yeah. So yeah, pretty grim times. But a wider reflection of where we are yeah, politically, just, societally, all the rest of it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, let's have two questions to finish up. Sure. Okay. So the first one is from Caracom. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Do a Callum. little nudge again. Like we mentioned it last week. So yeah. Callum, how are you doing? Go by. Go by Caracom. Could Eddie Howe manage at a higher level or should Bournemouth's inconsistency and his hit and miss transfer record and he lists Ibe, Brad Smith, Afobi, Begovic, Solanke be a cause for concern? Mm, give him the Cologne job. Oh, I mean, we said this before, didn't we? Eddie Howe in the Give him the Cologne job. Surrounded by that incredible fan culture and a desire to see brilliant young managers Whoa. and he would fly. Eddie Howe at Cologne. That, that's the one. Because we said at some point last season, we said Eddie Howe at Hoffenheim, right? Do you remember? Yes. That would have been, oh my <laughs> but goodness. They, they, they but they don't Cologne, need him. They're but, flying high. Yeah, but Cologne, wow. That, Eddie Howe at Cologne. There's a shout. I'm giving it, I'm putting it out there. I think he's brilliant. And what I was saying about that because if he goes to a club like Clint, then the management, the uh, structure, the directed football structure, it's there. It's a continental style system. And what I love about Howe is, yeah, they have some bad results, but his peaks, the, I oh, always brilliant. think, when you, yeah, when you look, yeah, exactly. When you look at a manager like that, always look at what are the best performances he gets from his team. That's probably the biggest knock on someone like Marco Silva. Marco Silva doesn't really have those defining performances. You look at Norwich, for example, Daniel Fark is clearly a brilliant manager who doesn't have quite the resources, but his, his peak is outstanding. So yeah, Eddie Howe, next move. Bundesliga. Whoa. There we go. You get, one, you get one scorcher from me per podcast. No, that is, I'm just, I love that shout. Okay, to wrap up, one from Vichalovsky. Who are your favourite players to watch? Ooh, ooh, Mbappe. Let's, let's remove the obvious ones. Mbappe. All right, all right Mbappe, yeah. Mbappe is just beautiful. He's by far like, he's aesthetically, do you know when you're watching a chef prepare the food, like chopping onions? There's a way that like a chef chops onions that no one else can do it, right? That's like watching Mbappe dribble. It's just like, it's so aesthetically, you're like, yeah, that's the best anyone is doing that. Yeah, that's Mbappe. For me, that's the guy. That's big. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh my God. Odegaard. Sociedad. Santi for sure, just because he rolls back the years. Yeah, they didn't have a good weekend. Lost him, lost to Mallorca. Got his fifth goal though. What penalty here? Yeah. yeah, but still great penalty. Uh, anyone else um, who I love watching? Jiso Yun at Chelsea. I know that you've got different uh, preferences in the Women's Super League, but the best. Play- <laughs> no, no, in terms of playmakers, I said she was the best playmaker I saw in that league, and I think if Chelsea win the Women's Super League, obviously she'll be vital to it. But just a brilliant playmaker, um, controls midfield, great tempo. So yeah, great to watch too. I have a few. Because you said the Women's Super League, I, I just love watching Daniela van der Donk because she's just so busy. Does, just, every, does everything. She's so, it's never, if you watch Daniela van der Donk play football, it's never not eventful. Um, I might have to stay Dutch and say Frankie de Jong, which is really obvious, but I just love watching Frankie. Yeah, if we're being aesthetics, yeah. He's just... And I'm trying to think. Well, that's a lovely question, actually. That's yeah, a lovely question. I'd like to give a little bit more time to think about that because I can never, it's like when someone says, oh, what's a good song to put on? And you're like, uh, uh, uh. Uh, you know, under the under the spotlight kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of songs, should we play it out? Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is um. Sorry, carry on. Sorry, carry on. I've interrupted. I've been reading. Um, again. Okay, so we're playing out this week on Sonic Youth. I, I dreamed a dream. Now here's a funny thing. So I was having a coffee with a friend the Are other you day. Name drop. 
He was there. What, tell us some more. Really nice guy. He's living in London now, but he was doing uh, a show there with his band. I think he's got like a solo project. Yeah, yeah. So he was just there. Like, well, and you I was didn't like, tell me this. Well, I thought I'd save it for the podcast. You didn't know I was playing out on this until about an hour ago. That's when I heard it. Oh, it's that guy from, let me mention it in the podcast because it'd be fun. I thought you'd like it. I smell a rat. It's true. It's my, okay, Google it. <laughs> Google, Google him. Oh no. You know what I feel like now? I feel like, you know, like when a cat brings in a dead mouse and it's like, look, I killed a mouse. And the owner's like, what the fuck? That's a, <laughs> that's a dead mouse in my carpet. I feel like the cat. <laughs> oh, let's get this cat out of here. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, can you please give us a rating and a review? It really helps us grow the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Football. Follow us on Twitter at Stadio. And later this week, the Gary Lineker interview will be going up. Yep, yep. We've had a couple of problems with the audio of both. So we're going to be using the room Mike, which actually sounds really good. Yeah. But that will be going up later in the week and the Union Right one will be going up next week. Yes. And they're both on the art of finishing. Hope you enjoy them. I'm going to get out of here before Musa interrupts me again. And <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so true. Okay. Take care. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. All the money's gone. The days